Hi everyone, this is Josh Hoffman and welcome to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. Today we have President and CEO of Marketing Mojo, Janet Driscoll Miller. Janet is also the author of Data First Marketing, How to Compete and Win in the Age of Analytics. Welcome, Janet. Yeah, there's the book. Yes, <laughs> and the book, perfect. I also have mine within arm's reach as well. Oh, so I'm glad you got it. With That's my great. bullet points and on all my highlighting as well. So Excellent. But today, I actually want to, uh, before we dive into the book and learn a little bit about what you do at Marketing Mojo, um, I actually wanted to start with a question that I understand you ask all of your account manager candidates, which is, do you see yourself as more of a creative person or more of an analytical person? Um, and on top of personally answering it, I like to to explain why uh, you asked that to candidates. Sure. So uh, I'm personally a very analytical person. I, I am a creative person also, but I'm really analytical. And the reason that I ask candidates that question is, you know, I, I find a, I hire a lot of folks right out of college. So they're really very junior and they've only had very limited exposure to what digital marketing is and what the job really entails. And so um, the reason I ask them that is, I don't think that everyone always realizes just how much analysis and um, and data goes into digital marketing, especially when you're very young and you're starting your career. And so when someone tells me they're more creative than than perhaps analytical, it tells me that they might not be happy in um, I find that most of the work that we do is really spent a lot of time in Excel spreadsheets. You have to love Excel if, you, if you're a digital marketer. and Or maybe you hate it, but you just deal with it. But um, but I find that that's really true. And so I like to find out, you know, what makes up this person? And, and is this the kind of position I think they'd be really happy in? Because if they think that this is all like sort of madmen, ad creative type of positions, it's really not. Most of that in digital marketing is really not that level of creative. Do you think people are born into either of them? Do you think it's a skill that can be learned? I know, uh, again, going back to your book, you said how you actually like remember the Apple commercial from 1984 um, and how that made you think more on the creative side and then you realized you're analytical. So um, yeah, do you think that's something that people are born with or that they can kind of go into both or, or what do you think about that? I think you'd absolutely go into both. And I think you can have both skills, honestly. Um, but but the reality is that uh, the creative side, while you still use a lot, some degree of creative in um, digital marketing, that um, for a lot of what we do, it's so much heavier on the analytical side. Um, and so from the data side, I, I've just found myself in data um, and not realizing all the time at first, I think when I was younger, how much I did love data and processing data. But as we have more access to data over time and, and where we're at now with data and how much, uh, access marketers in particular have to it, I found myself really drawn to that. And I think in part because creative is wonderful, but I always loved to know the effects of what I had done and really what, what those outcomes were. And so while creative was very exciting for me too, and I and I was drawn to marketing originally because of creative, like you said, from the, the Apple ads and all the other types of really awesome creative ads I saw in the 80s and 90s, the reality was that when I started into marketing, I thought, well, how is this really working out? Does it really help my company? Does it really help uh, us sell more product? And that's where the data side came in, that really just that inquisitive wanting to know more. And I think everyone has that in them. It's a matter of tapping into it and, and really um, prioritizing it. 
Uh, so then sticking with the hiring and maybe this misunderstanding of what a lot of young people go into a marketing agency and if they want to work for a marketing agency, uh, what are like the typical common issues um, that you see with younger hires? I'll say one of the more uh, common ones I see is um, tactical focus versus strategic focus. That's a real challenge. In fact, I was having some uh, conversations with other agency owners about this very issue. And we've been discussing, like, what are the best ways to help someone go from a tactical focus to a strategic focus? Because early on in your career, when you're young and you're starting out, you likely have one job and it's very tactical. However, as you take on more responsibility over time, becoming maybe an account manager or leading accounts uh, for an agency, you're going to have to be able to be more strategic. And I find that that can be a struggle for young people. Um, And so that's where good management comes in, is helping them transition from that tactical, tactical focus over to a a more strategic focus and understanding the forest for the trees, right? Uh, that it's not all about how we execute, but also why we're asking, executing this way. And so one of the things I always tell people who are trying to help their staff become more strategic in thinking is ask yourself, why am I doing this, right? Tactical is about just executing. But ask yourself, why? Why do I want to do this? What do I hope to gain from it? And we talk about a little bit about that in the book, too, is, is that's a real, real challenge for many people. But if you keep asking yourself, what's the why behind this? Why am I doing it? That'll help you become a more strategic thinker uh, in everything that you're doing in marketing. And I think in addition to the why, it's also understanding the skill set. And I know we talked previously before, uh, and you actually have something I find fairly unique in place, which is these skill set like badges uh, that you took from other things. Can you kind of explain a little bit more about that? Yes. So I think I mentioned when we talked before that I'm also a Girl Scout leader. And so, and I was a Girl Scout as a girl. So I love badges. Like, I think that's the coolest thing. I always wanted to earn the most badges of anybody in my troop. Um, And so I'm all about that. But when we, I I saw this idea, I actually gleaned off of an idea from Zappos, where they do something very similar with uh, skill badges. And so The idea is that the basic concept of this badge to earn a badge is that you have to be able to prove your skill set in a couple of ways. Now, in my agency, what we do, we have a badge system and you have to have at least three people endorse you within our company that say, Yes, this person has has shown to me that they can do this particular skill. Uh, for instance, one might be HTML programming or CSS programming or very simple. Or I've achieved my Google Ads analytics certification. Those types of things uh, earn you these badges. And one of the things that's really helpful for us is as we start to do performance reviews, I mean, I just did two last week, um, looking at what badges they have and what badges they can achieve helps us to, to recommend to the employee, this is the next direction you need to go in. The instructions on how to get that badge are are with the badge itself in our badge system. So some you can just earn on your own. Some you may need to do with a a mentor within the company. It varies, whatever the badge might be. But that way we can also empower employees to go out and get 
the badges they want to get or the thing, learn the things they want to learn. And we can point them in the right direction. Um, like, for instance, one of the things I mentioned HTML, we use Code Academy a lot, the Code Academy site. And we recommend that and say, hey, here's a good place where you can go and learn HTML or JavaScript or whatever it might be. And so we help point them in the right direction, too, so that they can achieve those skills and learn the things they want to learn, but also things that are helpful to us as an agency. I love that. Is it anonymous who who gives like the recommendation or or do you find out who the name is? No, you, and you can actually um, ask someone. So if I'm an employee and I did a project with someone, uh, a colleague, I can go to that colleague and say, can you endorse me for this badge? So that's one way, again, we want to empower our employees to to take their professional development and not just rely on the company to provide them with the pathway, but for them to be empowered to go and seek out the types of skills and badges that they want to earn and, and to seek out achieving that through being able to ask others to endorse them for it. Yeah. And just to, to end that, I, what I really love about that is, uh, and we again, we talked about this, that I don't believe that a college degree like marketing really says too much about the skill set. I mean, you can you can count an endless number of skills within marketing, uh, whether that even gets down to the sales side or the customer profile or any any direction that it goes to. Um, so I think it's very interesting to kind of break down each skill set, not as just a hierarchy or not just at the top and say marketing, but kind of break that down. Um, so I think that's great. Um, so now to talk about the book, uh, Data First Marketing, I just want to give you a little bit of time to kind of explain uh, what people can find in the book and what you pe- what you hope people get out of it. Sure. So I uh, I wrote this book with my co-author, Julia. Uh, Julia actually used to be a customer of mine. And then she came to join me at Marketing Mojo for a time. Um, the reason that we were inspired to write this book the book is really sort of our process we've used at Marketing Mojo for 17 years, and it's evolved over that time. But again, going back to the data conversation, um, what I find is that a lot of marketers today, while they have access to a lot of data, more than ever before, my goodness, it's just coming from every direction, right? Um, the challenge I think marketers are facing is they don't know which data to pull uh, which they don't know if their data is accurate in a lot, of, a lot of cases. They're not always comparing apples to apples. And they're not always putting data at the forefront of their efforts. So what I mean by that is we often will launch campaigns like on Google Ads, but have we used data to define how that campaign should be run uh, versus just launching something? A good example of that is just today, as a matter of fact, I work with a a global dental company and we're launching some new ads for them. And one of the conversations I had with my team right off the bat was, hey, let's look at what time these ads should be scheduled because, you know, we're, we're advertising in different countries. We can go into Google Analytics, find that right away and automatically set our campaigns to only run during certain times of the day because we know for a fact that people aren't going to convert at 3 a.m. to buy dental implants. You know, that's just not going to happen. So we can see that data and we can plan ahead and be successful from the beginning versus waiting to the end of the campaign and going, you know what? We looked at our Google Ads campaign and no one bought at 3 a.m., We kind of know some of that already. So let's use the data we have to plan our campaigns better and to do that in a way that helps empower our our marketing campaigns to generate the 
goals and the ROI that our company needs. That's the other part of this is tying everything we do into company goals, uh, whether that's revenue, ROI. And a lot of that requires us to go get data. Sometimes we as marketers don't own, you know, like finance data or CRM data. And how do we pull all that together to really evaluate if our campaigns are successful or not? Well, I guess I, I would I would pull that thread and say, how have you personally seen data be used differently across departments, whether it's the same piece of data or different sets of data that then come together? Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, one of the things we talk about in the book is the at its very foundation, marketing needs to be working with sales. Of course, we hear this a lot and we talk about the sales marketing relationship. And sometimes that relationship is pretty rocky, let's be honest. And I think many times it is. But marketing is here to help support the sales effort. That's what we do. And so if we can't work together and share data, then it makes it nearly impossible for marketing to do its job effectively. And so uh, that's where I do sometimes see sales departments being very protective of sales data for sometimes privacy reasons and things like that totally makes sense. But where they can share data back, we really need to share that data, sales data back with marketing and have that conversation as opposed to it being a one-way conversation. It needs to be a, a discussion. And, um, and so that's where we find the most effective uh, situations is where we get that sales data back. Because as an example, uh, not all conversions are equal, right? If you get a conversion from Google ads as a marketer, if that's all you see, I got a conversion. Great. But what if conversions from one campaign led to higher average order value? Wouldn't you want to know that? Or higher, uh, higher, uh, investment in deals, right? Uh, uh, opportunity um, amounts and so forth like that. And if you don't know that as a marketer, if you don't know that sales data and you don't know the lifetime value or whatever sales can see, if you're not seeing that, you can't put more money into campaigns that are actually doing better for the company in the long run. So that information is so critical. But a lot of times what we see is, again, the sales data and the marketing data are not conjoined. And that can be a real challenge. So for sharing data, um, as well as understanding data and everything else you can do with data, uh, do you have any specific tools that you use down the pipeline? So all the way in the beginning from marketing down to sales, and then what you're really saying is back from sales to marketing. Um, so any specific tools that you use? Yeah, I would also just say too, when you think about these tools, also remember what you're measuring and how that tool measures. Because as an example, uh, I have clients, for instance, lots of clients who use HubSpot as a CRM. Most CRMs are measuring by contacts or leads versus like Google Analytics is not focused on leads, it's focused on conversions. And one person could have 10 conversions. So think about, you know, the... Um, the uh, how do I want to say this? The uh, think about your data being synchronous, right? The same type of data across 
different platforms. Then when you think about the tools, I will tell you one tool that I absolutely love, and it makes it super easy for anyone, even if you don't have programming skills, to tie this information together is Zapier. Have you heard of Zapier, Josh? Yeah, yeah. I love them. And they make it super easy for you to connect different platforms. We mentioned them in the book, too, because we've done it ourselves for our, some of our own platforms. You don't have to know how to program an API. You don't need a developer involved. You could literally make this nice little recipe that says, if it's this, then do that. And it's very simple and straightforward and can give you so much information back. So, um, and then also update the salespeople, right? Even if your data and marketing maybe isn't getting synced to sales, this is a way you could do it is using tools like Zapier to connect those platforms and tools. That was perfect. Uh, any other tools that you can think of before we, we jump off that, that topic? That's probably one of my favorite ones. Um, you know, certainly Google Analytics is very, very helpful. There's so much rich data in there. And if you set it up correctly, um, there are so many ways you can segment your data in Google Analytics. And that's free. Um, and so really a great free tool to use. Um, as an example, I have a client who's a SaaS company. And they want to see in Google Analytics what current customers do versus prospects. You can set up things like a custom dimension inside of Google Analytics to say, I have, I know this person is current customer because they logged in, right? And once they logged in, I tagged them with a custom dimension saying they're a customer versus someone who's not. And then you can take that information, that custom dimension, and segment your reports to see what do current, current customers do versus what do prospects do on my site and how do they interact differently. So there's just a million different ways to use Google Analytics, and it's completely free, and it's really you know, uh, very simple in many ways. If you just kind of do some Google searches on how to set certain things up like that, it can be a really powerful tool for you. I completely agree. Um, just how easy it is to set up and, uh, you know, like even the back end when you're looking at all the data, it's pretty easy to go through with the tabs on the left and everything. So it, it doesn't take much to just get your feet wet with Google Analytics and just start that as your search for tools and everything. Um, okay, so we have the tools. Now, what do you see as some of the early mistakes that marketers make when looking through the data? So as I mentioned before, is not comparing apples to apples, right? So as an example, Google Ads measures conversion differently sometimes than Google Analytics. So, or Google Analytics measures it differently than HubSpot. So um, I had a conversation with a client the other day as an example where they said, how, how come our versions from Google Ads on this campaign do not match the number of leads we see in HubSpot? Well, again, it comes back to the fact that the people in HubSpot are contacts. And if they were an existing contact in HubSpot and they clicked on the ad again, came in and filled out another form, that doesn't make them a new contact. It just updates their existing record in HubSpot so they don't look like they're new. Versus Google Ads is going to count them as a conversion, right? So Google Ads might say we have 10 conversions where you might actually only have two new contacts out of that campaign. And so I think there's a lot of um, misunderstanding about how these different tools measure and how you can compare that data across different platforms. That's probably one of the bigger mistakes I see is, is there's a concern that, um, that maybe things aren't measuring properly. And a lot of times they are. It's just how they measure is different. 
And I guess going off of um, kind of how you work with the clients, uh, I'm just curious, how, what, in like what capacity do you work with your clients at Marketing Mojo? So um, short-term projects, ongoing management, everything in between, how are you currently or, or typically working with your cu- customers? We have two main offerings. We have an audit and we have retainers. So audits are for folks who have internal marketing resources and development resources that just need us to come in and say, here's a report of all the things we recommend that you would. Whereas the retainer says, here's that same report, but we're going to go fix it for you. You can have the experts over here go fix it. And so those are really the two main options. So it's, it's do it yourself or we can do it for you. But either way, you can have an agency come in like us and say, here's what we find. Here's what we would be doing if we were managing this. Here's the changes we would recommend. I love that. Uh, and who do, who are you currently working with? Like what position uh, when you're working with the clients? A lot of times it's a marketing director or uh, sometimes a VP of marketing, but our, usually our main point of contact is someone who is working on the tactical. They're the ones that are the main go-between. But we have conversations, of course, with everyone up to the CMO. It just will depend on the size of the organization, how much capacity that that person has to talk with us regularly. So um, that's why many times for the day-to-day that we're asking for different help or assistance, we're going to be talking with someone who's in a more tactical position. But that doesn't mean that the CMO and VP and so forth are not involved in those conversations on the higher higher level, like once a month. Um, we do try and at least talk with our clients in a report situation and an analysis and strategy call at least once a month. Um, but again, Tactically, we're talking to clients every day uh, for different changes. But, you know, for that strategy conversation, we try and have even the higher level folks join us for at least that conversation once a month. Because in an organization, all sorts of things are changing that even the tactical people may not even know are coming. Like there may be new product coming or, you know, any number of things that they may not be aware of yet. And so having that, um, that senior level marketer involved is really helpful. How did you get your first client? Well, that's interesting. Um, I want to say that I actually, they were, I was still working in-house and they were looking for someone to come in-house. And I said, how about I do this for you as a contractor? And that was how I got my first job and worked out really well. And I had just had my first child at the time. And so I w- it was in a good position to be able to leave the company that I was working with and, and kind of launch into this new uh foray and it worked out really well. And then from there, I started networking and partnering with folks. And I will say partnering early in my agency helped me really start to build and get some of those case studies and get my name out there and uh, really helped me get some new clients very quickly. Okay. So you had a, your first kid uh, when, around when you started the company, which is incredible. Um, So for any moms or whether they're new moms or it's, it's another kid, um, do you have any advice for starting an agency um, or really any type of business? And what are some of the biggest difficulties you've personally run into, especially with having a, a newborn? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, my newborn had health issues, too, which was also challenging. I will say part of the reason that I started the agency was because of of having a newborn and having health issues. It gave me more flexibility in my schedule because. 
I was the one controlling my schedule. Um, and that's really a helpful thing. And sometimes I have to remind myself, especially now I get so driven about something and I have to tell myself, Janet, why did you start this agency? You started it so you'd have that flexibility. So don't beat yourself up. And, and one of the things I would say to moms out there, even with older kids, like I wanted to make sure I took advantage of every field trip and every chance I had to chaperone and all of those great things or read to my daughter's classes. Do those things. Take that time. Don't pressure yourself so much that you say, I've got this agency to run. You do. But, you know, remember why you started it. And for many moms, a lot of times we're starting it because we want to have that flexibility in our schedule. We want to be able to spend time with our kids and still do the fun, awesome things we did in our career. And we want to continue that. Um, But I find that especially in digital marketing, it's very flexible. You know, running an agency, uh, you can be very flexible. One challenge I would say is you have to think about whether you want to grow your agency. How many people do you want working with you? And how much time do you have to dedicate to it? Are you going to run an agency where it's just you and you're going to work 20 hours a week? Or do you want to grow your agency and have lots of individuals work? Um, Do you want people to be full-time employees? You know, there's a lot to consider with all that. And with every one of those decisions comes extra work that you have to do. So really think about why you started your agency or why you want to start one. And and then you can go from there and you can tailor how you work and, and when you work to what your goals are. But if your goal is to be able to spend, have that flexibility and time, uh, remember that. Always remember that. I have employees now and I have for 17 years. But at one point we had a formal office space. Now we're all virtual. That that changed. And it's taken a little bit of a load off my plate because I don't have to worry about things like an office environment and do we have coffee in the coffee machine? Like little dumb things like that, you know, like uh, for people, I don't have to worry about those, those things anymore. So consider all those things and decide really what's the best approach for you to get you to your goal. Although less, uh, there might still be other difficulties with making sure your team is uh, together and everything like that. But yes, definitely uh, more valuable than if the coffee is full. Um, and then my last question, I guess, would be not just for if they're not trying to start a business and it's not just women with, with kids or whatever. Um, but with COVID, it's been really hard for anyone to get back to the workforce, um, especially with kids. Um, so can you actually talk a little bit more about how you're addressing that and specifically this idea of returnships that you've mentioned before? Yeah, I'm really excited about this. I can't believe I didn't think about this before, but I saw that some larger companies were offering something called return chips. And I thought, this is really brilliant. Um, It's basically like an internship for those people who are already experienced in a particular industry, um, but maybe had to take some time off. Maybe they were a caregiver. Maybe they're a new mom and they want to stay home for a few years. Um, or even a new dad that wanted to stay home for a few years. And it's a vehicle for people to get back into the workforce. And I think that's a real challenge for especially women right now, especially with COVID, as a lot of women have had to leave the workforce to be caregivers to maybe their smaller children when there wasn't an option for them to take them to daycare anymore because of COVID and things like that. And um, so I was very fortunate. I had teenagers, so at least they were able to take care of themselves to some degree during COVID. I can't even imagine what it was like for for moms 
who had really little toddlers. That had that would had to be really, really difficult, especially because they couldn't get vaccinated either. So you had this this like double level of stress. My kid could get sick, but also I can't take them anywhere. Like I can't take them to daycare. And so this is now, as we're starting to emerge a bit from the pandemic, I think it's an opportunity for women to get back in. Maybe that's even just part-time. It may not be a full-time job, but that's one of the things we're looking at is how do we help people get back in and get skills again? Because data, uh, sorry, um, digital marketing moves at a very rapid pace. If you're out for a month, you you've lost a lot, right? And so if you've been out for a year or two because you've been dealing with a pandemic or caregiving in some way, you need to be able to ramp up your skills again. That's what the returnship is about. It's like an internship for older folks, more experienced folks who want to get back into the workforce. And at the end, ideally, if the person works out, it becomes a job for them, a permanent position. Um, and so that could be a part-time position. That could be a full-time position. But I think uh, that's something that, especially if you are trying to get back into the workforce, that you might want to consider, whether you're a new mom, new dad, caregiver. I think it's a great option. And we're really excited to get started with those. We're just now launching those in my company. And I'm really excited to do that. I, I love the idea. Um, and as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Absolutely. So um, my agency is marketing-mojo.com. And you can check us out there. We're currently putting new positions up right now. So look for those return ships on the site because we will be hiring very soon. And if you'd like to learn more about the book, um, again, it's Data First Marketing. And um, you can get it at Amazon. If you'd like to learn more about the book first, we do have a website for the book. And in the book, there's an assessment you can take that helps you understand where your company is today in the data first marketing maturity maturity model. And so that website is data-firstmarketing.com. And you can learn more about the book there. Uh, Also, I'm going to give a free book away. So um, for listeners of this podcast, if you go to bit.ly, so bit.ly slash masters with an S, M-A-S-T-E-R-S, book, B-O-O-K, master's book, um, you can enter for a chance to win a free copy of the the book as well. And I'll mail that to you. So um, thank you so much for having me today, Josh. And it's been been wonderful. Thank you so, so, so much uh, for coming on the show. And I hope everyone else has a great day. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.